Good evening to everyone. So glad that you're here. So glad that you chose to come and be with us this evening. I hope, as everyone else has said thus far, that you've had a wonderful day. It's been a beautiful day out there. Uh, apologies if I don't do exactly right tonight. I got the bright idea to mold this afternoon, and uh, now my allergies are acting up, and my eyes are a little deceiving to me. And so maybe we'll get through it this evening. Um, you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Acts chapter 17. We're going to stay mostly in this chapter, but we're going to refer to a few things as we go through. But I want to read this text, and then I want us to talk about it just a little bit. Beginning in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was giving over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some says, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer uh, of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange thing to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives uh, to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one uh, blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times, the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we... Uh, live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we're the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So here we have, as, as uh, Paul here is, is in this city, and as he goes around and he sees all the things that they're, they, they're worshiping, he noticed, one, that they had an inscription to an unknown God. So that's what he proclaimed to them. And, and the reason I picked this uh, particular passage tonight is um, probably in the last three weeks, I, I've, I've had 
one conversation. I, I should have had two conversations, but I chose at that particular time not to. But I had two different encounters where individuals were talking about uh, the church, talking about faith, and basically coming to the conclusion, does it really matter what you believe? Because we're all going to the same place anyway. We, we may just believe differently. Uh, one was talking uh, uh, to me, and they were talking about how their preacher always talking about the Church of Christ is the one that's always right, that's only right. And I've got friends that, that's other re religions, and, you know, I think there's good people everywhere, and, I, you know, there's some things we've got in common. And all I answered to that was, yeah, there's some things we have in common, and I've got friends that believe differently. Uh, I didn't get into any more conversation than that. But then I had another conversation uh, at work with an individual that was pretty much the same thing. And as we were talking, he actually brought up uh, an old, I guess, earthly proverb. And he said, he said, let me explain it to you, Ron. He said, maybe you don't understand. And I said, well, you'll have to because I don't understand what you're talking about. And he said, I had explained to me like this one time. He said, it's like there were six blind men brought to an elephant. And they were each asked to uh, describe this elephant. So the first blind man went up to this elephant, and he was feeling on, on the side of it. He said, it feels like a great wall. It's just a, like a huge, sturdy wall. Well, another blind man come up, and he said, no. He said, you've got it wrong. He had a hold of his uh, tusk, and he said, it, it, it's like a spear. The other one said, no, no, you, you've got it wrong. It's not like a spear. It, it, it's more like a, um, it's more like, I would say, a... A snake, and he had a hold of his trunk. The other one said, "No, gentlemen, you you you've got it wrong. It, it, it's more like a tree." And he had he had a hold of one of its big legs and filled it up. It says like it's a, a big solid tree. The other one said, "No, it's like a fan. It's like a fan." He had a hold of its ear. The other one said, "No, it, it's like a rope," and he had a hold of its tail. And I said, and as he's explaining this, I said, "Well, what's your point?" You're calling God an elephant? I mean, what, what is it, you know? He said, no, he said, many people are like that blind man. They, they, they touch God in different ways, and they see different parts of him, but it's still God, just like it was still an elephant, no matter how much, how different you describe it. And I said, so what you're saying is my faith is different than your faith because we're all feeling the same elephant, but we're just coming at it different ways? He said, well, it, it, it's God. He said, but we're coming at it different ways, but we're going to the same place. We're going to the same God. So the question I would like to ask today is, uh, does it matter? Does it matter what our faith is? Do, as some say, do all roads lead to heaven? And I think sometimes we're, we're embarrassed to defend the church, defend the, the body of Christ, defend what, what scriptures say, and we just try to, you know, I'll be honest, like I did in that conversation, I just, uh, the first conversation, I just kind of, you know, like, well, is it really going to get in, is it really going to do any good, or if I really get into this, are they just going to get mad, or they, you know, I'll just kind of leave it alone, because how are you going to, you know, teach someone who just, you know, don't want to know, but then I, then I actually thought about it, again, does it matter, um, what we believe, and should we defend it, and how should we defend it, and are we considered intolerant, are we considered uh, closed-minded, not open-minded when we stand up for the truth? Is there truth? Is there absolute truth? Is there something we can say, this is what truth is, and if it's not this, 
then it's wrong. You mean it's actually all right to say something is wrong? Yeah, when it is. I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. I'm sure you don't like to admit when you're wrong. And, and it's uncomfortable when we have to show someone else when they're wrong. But does there come a time where we have to do that? Does there come a time when we have to say, I can't be open-minded on this subject because there's no, shouldn't be any misunderstanding. There's truth and then there's error. And I'm on the side of truth. It's not about what I think is right. It's not about how, and we get, it, get caught up into this sometimes. I get asked this a lot, and you probably do too. Well, what does the church of Christ believe on this particular subject? Oh, well, that differs from us because of this. But, you know, we're still all going the same way. We're a member of the church of Christ because it's his body. It's a descriptive term, right? We're, we're following a certain faith. So Paul is here in this, this situation to where he is proclaiming to these individuals the unknown God. Now, centuries ago, as we say in this situation, in this city called Athens, there was a, a predominant belief. And uh, this belief was that all gods, as they put it, had basically all these things in common. It, it was said uh, from many different scholars that there were some over 30,000 idols in the city of Athens. They said it was easier to find an idol than it was a man. So with all of these here, we, we, we think, how, how could they have so many idols? They were highly religious people, but they were confused on what God to worship. Not only confused on what God to worship, they, in fact, uh, they didn't want to miss anything. So they had this, this inscription to this one altar about the idol, about the unknown God, but they just didn't know what exactly to hold on to. What kind of truth to hold on to? Was there really a truth? Now, we can kind of dismiss this and say, that sounds ridiculous. Who would have that many idols? And who would have an idol uh, to an unknown God? Um, and we may think that that's pretty silly, that's pretty immature. But we have to remember, Athens was a, a very educated place. Uh, there were a lot of philosophers and, and thinkers there, individuals such as Plato and Socrates. It's been said that uh, the root of democracy took place there. That's where it kind of began. So this was an educated place. Now, I'm not knocking education by any means, but I think in this instance and in some instances today, I think this was the problem. They were too smart for God, they thought. To narrow it down maybe to just one God. And they, did, they didn't want to you know, mess up. They were trying to hear all these new philosophies and all these new things to where they just didn't want to leave anything out. So they make sure they, they think, we're, we're so smart, we'll cover all of our bases. That way we don't leave anything out. And there were great universities in this particular place. It was a center, again, of philosophy, of literature, of science, of art. Again, but they didn't know what truth to embrace they're trying to gain all this new information every time that they can and when something new comes up then they just move to something else we see this today 
That's why you see so many fads and so many different religions and so many congregations where people will flock to one and then when that new wears off, they'll flock to something else and when that new uh, uh, wears off, they'll flock to something else and you just keep going and keep going and keep going in search of something. Well, what you're in search of is truth. That truth is going to make us free. But we have to make sure we're looking in the right place. The Bible says, sanctify them in truth, John 17 and 17. Thy word is truth. That's where we need to be looking. What does God say is right? What faith does God say? You know, when we talk about in Jude where it says, contend earnestly for the faith. The faith. But then we want to know which faith is that. It's the faith. It's not a faith. It's the faith. And that's how we have to approach this. Now, Again, there were some uh, uh, several intellectual types. Again, I'm not, I'm not knocking education, but in this instance that Paul was dealing with here, this was the problem. They were trying to outthink it or overthink it or, or, or make it more complicated than it really was. Paul wasn't in that city very long as he's walking through. He said, I can point it out right here. This unknown God, that's who. So as, as they were doing this, uh, again, they were unwilling, I think, or unable to discover the truth about God. And, and so what happened is what happens today is uh, re- religion gets regulated to personal preference. You know, the big thing going today, and it's actually the big thing going then, was you do your truth. You ever heard somebody say that? Your truth. It, it's not wrong if, if you do it. Somebody, uh, I was watching something, I believe it was last night, and that, that phrase kind of come up. They were trying to get advice from, from somebody, and they said, you know, I, should I do this or, or should I do this? And here's the answer they gave them. Either one that you do is going to be right because it comes from you. And when you do your truth, it's going to be right. So when I do my faith and somebody else does their faith and everybody else does their own faith and nobody's doing the faith, is everybody right? Can everybody be right? Is that, is that how we have to be? We have to be that broad-mindedness where we have to make sure that we're telling everybody that they're right no matter what? But again, they... Here in this instance, they said, if if there is a God, well, he'll understand. Everybody was trying to reach him in a different way, and we just are letting everybody cover their bases. That's why we have these 30,000 or so idols, and we've even got one to the unknown God. So we've covered everything. You just pick which one you want. You do your truth at the time you want to do it. And that's what Paul was dealing with, and that's what Paul was facing. Now, the one thing that has, I believe, that has gotten Christianity in trouble uh, with people over the years and down through the ages, is when asked, does it matter what you believe? We have to answer yes, don't we? There, there's no other choice for us to answer. It does matter what we believe. Now, it's not a matter of am I right or are you right or are you wrong and I'm right in these types of things. It's a matter is, are we right according to what the faith says. You know, I've talked with individuals and it becomes uh, evident that there's different beliefs and different standards and different doctrine that's being followed here. You know, I, I told one gentleman one time, 
while we were discussing, I just didn't seem like it was getting anywhere. And I said, well, basically what I'm hearing from you is what I was telling this gentleman is, I'm okay then, according to you. Now, we believe totally different. If, you went, if I went to where they went and heard something from their pulpit, I would hear something totally different than what I hear from this pulpit. I would see so, something totally different in Scripture, I mean, as far as worship, and it'd be totally different, but according to them, we're all right. But, as I told that gentleman, I said, but if I'm right according to God's Word, then that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? So when we, we look at these types of things, again, we've got to realize that it is our responsibility in a loving manner. As Paul says, if we don't do anything out of love, then we're like clanging symbols. You know what that tells me? We're just aggravating somebody. We're, we're just nonsense. It's just like clanging of symbols if, if we don't do anything out of love. So it needs to come from a place of love, but it needs to be said because the Bible says it. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. He didn't say a way, a truth, a life. He said the. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference in that. And, and we can't be ashamed to know that because guess what? We need to know that. We need to understand that. We need to follow and, and realize that there is a way. As John talked this morning about how God draws us, He draws us through His Word, through His Son. No one comes into the Father except through Him. Notice what Peter declared in Acts 4 and verse 17. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now how open-minded is that? Notice what he says again. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 17. I, I, I tried to find a stopping place, but we need to know exactly, and I won't read all that we read a while ago, but I, I want us to understand exactly what Paul is addressing and what he's saying. Starting in verse 22 again, he said, He stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you're very religious. Now these were religious individuals. How many real religious individuals do we have in the world today? It's hard not to find somebody that's not religious. But religious does not make us right. It does not make us scriptural. We can be very religious. You ever referred to someone like that? Well, they don't really follow God, but they're very religious people. You know, we use that phrase sometimes, don't we? Well, that's what Paul was saying here. I see this in, uh, in all things. Now notice, in all things, you're very religious. For I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship, even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now I looked uh, up how they would get this, and I, I found a lot of different variations. But it was uh, basically how... I think a gentleman, and I don't remember the whole story, but a gentleman released a lot of sheep in this, uh, in this uh, town. And then when, when, when they died and when the closest they were to a, a particular altar, that's uh, the one they would proclaim at that time. But what would happen is one would, that wasn't near one, so then they just erected one and said to the unknown God. So it was really based in superstition more than anything. They, they were scared maybe to leave something out. But that, that's a good story, but uh, uh, that's just kind of the summary of it. 
He says, to the unknown God, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing. How do you worship without knowing? How do you worship something or somebody without knowing? Well, people do it a lot, don't they? They worship a God that they don't know. They claim to know a God. But remember what Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 7? Uh, Not everyone says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. They may say in that day, Lord, hadn't we cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, done all of these works. And he said, depart from me, I never knew you that, that worketh lawlessness. They were worshiping. They were religious. He said, but I don't know you. Because they didn't do it his way, as he says to do it. He said, uh, God who made uh, the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He said, all these altars that you uh, are, are, are building, they're for no purpose. Titus this morning in his class, and, and, and to be honest with you, I, I never, until I, he said it, I never really thought about it. You know, when he was talking about uh, erecting images and, and, and these statues, he said the reason God doesn't, and the reason he had it in his commandments, God doesn't want us to have graven images because we're his image. We don't need to create one God already has. And I thought, when he said that, I thought, man, that's a great point. And then I thought, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, how come, I, how come that's never even occurred to me before? You know, I, I, I just tied it in with, and that's what he was making the distinction, I tied it in with, you don't, have, you don't put anybody before me, you know. You don't, I, I just tied it in with all of this, but it's actually a separate thing. You know, we're his image, we're his created image. He's already done that. We, we don't need to make something else. Because anything else we made is created from our own will, not his And that's the point that Paul's making here. Uh, He says that since he gives life, breath to all things, verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries in their dwellings so that we should seek the Lord and hope that we might grope for him and find him. It's the Lord we've got to seek. We, we, We can't seek someone else. We seek the Lord, right? He says, if you seek, you remember Matthew chapter 7, ask shall be given you, seek and you shall find. He says, seek the Lord. And if we seek the Lord, these things will be added to you. Uh, verse 28, uh, for in him we live, we move, we have our being, as also some of, our own, uh, of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are his offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like silver or gold or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. But notice this, starting in verse 30. Here's where he gets serious about it. He says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. What did he overlook and what has to be repented of? All the things that they're doing. Not serving him will worship their their own being, their own faith, following a faith, not the faith. Not coming to an absolute truth, thinking everybody has their own truth in them. You do your truth. 
And that's what we see many times. But he said once uh, he overlooked this, uh, but now he commands all men to repent. Verse 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's ordained, he has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Now, did you catch what, what he's actually saying here? Jesus, as we looked in John 14, you got Peter, you got Paul now. They're all telling us that God has no intention. Let me say that again. God has no intention of tolerating that anymore. No intention of tolerating that anymore. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. You know, there was a training time. There was a time in which they were learning. They were learning how to trust God. And what they became is to their own devices. Worshiping their own way. Doing things their own way. But no more. God calls for repentance, not open-mindedness. And I tell you, brethren, right now we live in a time that we're ridiculed. Even to the extent some are persecuted. Because they say, well, that person's intolerant. They're not open-minded uh, open-mindedness. Somewhere in there, you know what I mean by that. <laughs> they don't have an open mind to, to let in everybody's faith. Well, one, I don't decide that. You know, I, I use that phrase all the time when uh, I, I, I feel like I'm getting in trouble at home or something and uh, something said, I said, hey, I don't make the rules, I just try to follow. Don't blame me. You know, we don't make the rules, do we? But we should follow them because we're a disciple. And what disciple do? It's a learner. It's a follower. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. God is calling us to repent. Why? He says, because there will be. There will be a judgment. And people will not get into heaven by following anything or anyone other than what the Bible says. That's just plain, simple facts. But we try to think that it's all right to do. Paul is declaring that it is not nice not to tell people this. The world wants to tell us, you know, that's not nice when you, you, you tell someone that uh, uh, their faith is, is not what it should be. It shouldn't be us telling them anyway. We're just a vessel. We're just the, the creation in God's image. We're just a reflection of the light who needs to spread that word, and that word says that. We need to be like Jesus says in John chapter 3. Remember when he was talking about, I didn't come to condemn, but I came to save, because you're condemned already. Well, I, I got high on that, and I even heard it. We're condemned already. So if a person is condemned already because they're still in the darkness, wouldn't it be our responsibility to show them the light? Show them, show them salvation, not condemnation. Condemnation is already there. So it's not that the fact that we're showing them what the absolute truth is, that we ourselves are condemning them. We're showing them the light of the good news of the gospel to come out of a faith into the faith. And that's what Paul is, is telling these individuals here. But even, even smart people ought to realize that this concept is true in anything else. I mean, we, we, can, uh, we can put anything else in it that, that we would like. We have to realize that we don't... We really don't have to defend uh, the Bible, the doctrine. 
All we need to do is live it and follow it. I don't need to make excuses for it. I just need to present it. It's not up to me whether somebody obeys it or not. When the sower went out to sow the seed, it wasn't a problem with the sower. The sower didn't, didn't make things happen. He just sowed the seed. There wasn't a problem with the seed. It was up to the ground what they were going to do with it. But that's called intolerance. And many times when we uh, think of it in terms of religion, you can't tell someone that. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 22, says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, uh, Christ the power of God and wisdom of God. Uh, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger uh, than man's strength. We have to realize it's... It's not us that's saying, okay, you're wrong and I'm right. It should be us saying, I'm right because I'm following what's right. It's like Paul says, imitate me because I imitate Christ. Don't imitate me because I'm me. Imitate me because I imitate Christ. But again, it's about broad-mindedness. It's about this is what we uh, are trying to be taught today that you have to be open-minded, you have to be tolerant. But as I said, this isn't true in anything else. And intellectual people understand that and, and know that. Um, there's no room for broad-mindedness uh, in the chemical uh, laboratory, is there? I mean, think about it. Water is composed of what? Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. The slightest deviation of that is what? wrong so there is absolute truth in that isn't it there's a right way there's a wrong way and we understand that in many things there's no room for broad-mindedness when it comes to music the skilled director will not permit the first violinist to even be a half a note off of how the music is written think he'd stop and say oh that's not right is that intolerance to do that is that person being intolerant because he corrects something that is a known wrong? But again, we, we have this in everything. Uh, the mathematical uh, realm. You can look in uh, uh, geometry, calculus, trig trigonometry, basic math. Now, I wasn't the best student in school, but there's one thing I understood, especially in geometry class, in Miss Peggy's class. If I had a wrong answer, guess what she would do? She would count it wrong. Now, me being me, I'm sure I argued that many times. But look, look, I, it's a right answer because I come up with this new theory to get this answer so this makes it right. It's wrong. Well, that's intolerance. It can't be wrong. That's just like saying, okay, 2 plus 2 is 4. If someone says 2 plus 2 is 5, are we intolerant for saying, no, it's not? And even to some degree, we wouldn't even accept this in religion. If I was to get up here on Sunday morning, if I was to say, you don't have to be baptized for remission of sins. And I got up here tonight and I said, yeah, you, you've got to be baptized for remission of sins. And then I get up here Wednesday night and say, well, you've got to be baptized, but you can just be sprinkled. 
And then I get up here next Sunday, well, you don't really have to be sprinkled, you, you have to be immersed. And I keep saying something different every time. How long do you think they let me up here anymore? Not after that first mistake. <laughs> so we wouldn't do that. So if one person can't teach it five different ways and be right, how in the world can five different people teach it different ways and be right? But see, we accept it when it goes out of this room and into different religious groups and they're teaching it all different, but that's okay. That's fine to do it that way. But don't let one person do it different. That means they're nuts. See, we, we understand this. We, whether we take it even part out of religion and even into the world, we understand. We understand that there is a, a tolerance, a, a, something that has to be this way. And if we say it's different, oh, that's intolerant. Well, I tell you what, I had a lot of intolerant teachers in school because I had a lot of X's on answers. I should call back every one of them and say, you wasn't open-minded enough. You, you just really stunted my, 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 my intellectual growth because you called it wrong. I, I actually put what was my truth. I put my truth down there. But they didn't want to hear my truth. They didn't want to see my truth. They wanted what truth was. We understand that. How come we can't understand when it comes to religion? God doesn't want anybody else's truth but His. And Paul said there's a judgment day that's coming. And that judgment day, he will say whether I had the truth or not. Am I going to call God intolerant? God, you're just not open-minded enough. Remember, I've done all of these works in your name. I've done all of these things in your name. I've done all these things to, to please you. And to, No, I didn't. I did it to please myself. That's what I'll be told. That's will worship, not true worship. And there's a big difference in that. I saw a church sign one time that said, If I'm okay and you're okay, explain the cross. And I thought about that. I thought, that, that's a pretty good sign. How do you explain that? In verse 31 uh, of Acts chapter 17, it says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. By the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to all men by raising them from the dead. You know, I, what happens when we get in discussions with individuals, those who would challenge our faith and find a hard time doing it, they, they try to get us off on side issues. Anytime I've, I've tried to discuss the faith with someone, it always comes down, do you, do you really believe God created the world in six days? Do, do you really believe there was a global flood that, that, that flooded the earth? Uh, do you believe, truly believe that there was a red... Someone just asked me this not too long ago um, uh, because uh, we were studying that particular lesson and it got mentioned and, and, and uh, someone had seen it and, and they'd asked me, do you truly believe they walked across on dry land, when uh, dry ground when God parted the Red Sea? And my answer was, absolutely, I do. Because I don't know what God you serve, but the God I serve, if he can part the Red Sea, he can sure make it dry on the ground. That, that's a no-brainer to him. That, that, that's something that uh, is pretty easy. That's something else that got me thinking about that Titus said in his class when the, 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 the kings came to uh, uh, the prophet there wanting God to say to do something. He said, yeah, I can make this water just appear. It don't have to be rain or, or wind. This is really no big deal for me. I'm God. I, I can do that. that. It's not a big thing to do that. 
But when we truly think of and believe what God really did, if we believe creation, we believe the flood, we believe the Red Sea, we believe all the miracles, we believe all of that, that God is that powerful, then how come we don't believe that we should follow His truth, His faith? Because again, He's the one that created us. That's what Paul meant, I believe, when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2. He said, I resolved to know nothing else while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all that Paul seemed to be focused on, I think. When, there in Acts chapter 17, when he was talking about the unknown God, he was talking about all this, he didn't get in all this uh, philosophy things. He just took it straight down to Jesus. He said, this is who I proclaim to you. And that's who we should proclaim to those that are around. Again, because there's a judgment coming. So the original question was, does it truly matter what we believe? Yes, it does. Should we tell people that it matters what we believe? Yes, we should. Do all roads lead to heaven? <laughs> no, they don't. Jesus says, no one comes unto the Father except through me. Now, some people look at this sermon that Paul gave in Acts chapter 17, and time's run out, so we won't go in and read it again, but because uh, at the end it says some, some didn't believe him. Some said, well, well, we'll hear you again on this matter. But there were a few that believed and obeyed. So I actually read some commentaries and some that supposed to be Bible scholars that said, this is actually one sermon of Paul's that was a failure because he didn't have much response. Was it a failure? Did Paul treat, uh, preach the truth? Yes, he did. Did he preach about Jesus? Did he tell them about that one God? Tell them about that one truth? Did he tell them there was absolute truth? Yes, he did. And that's exactly what we need to do. I know we can get ourselves in uncomfortable situations and I know it seems like we, we have to cover the same arguments for some reason. And in the world today, it, it's just so much easier just to let it go. It's so much easier not to be called intolerant and not to be called narrow-minded, not to be called... And I don't know about you, I've been called that a lot. You're just narrow-minded. Well, since there's one church, one faith, one baptism... Yeah, I'd say I'm pretty narrow-minded <laughs> because that straight way to that narrow gate is pretty narrow. <laughs> the broad way that leads to destruction is pretty open-minded, pretty tolerant. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in the narrow-minded way when it comes to doctrine of Christ, wouldn't you? So if you're here tonight, I hope you've answered the question, does it matter what you believe? It does. Jesus said, no one comes unto the Father except through me. He was a word. He was the word. The word was with God in the beginning, John tells us. That word became flesh, dwelt among us, and it will not return void. Will not return to him void. His word tells us to have faith, Hebrews 11 and 6, that faith that pleases God, that believes who God is and believes that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek after Him. But where does that faith come? Okay, faith comes by hearing, 
Hearing the word of the Lord, Romans 10, verse 17. Not hearing what somebody else thinks, not hearing somebody else's truth, but hearing God's truth from his word. That's the power of God unto salvation, is the gospel. We need to repent of our sins, Luke 13 and 3. We need to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, because he will deny us. Is it narrow-minded? Minded to say that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Lord of my life. He determines what's right. Not my version of Him. See, that's the trouble that, that he had with when he was talking on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you've heard it said this, but I say this. Again, he wasn't condemning the law of Moses. He said, this is what you turned it into. This is your version of truth. Now I'm going to give you my version. God's version. The truth, the faith. And that's who we confess as our Lord. And repent of our sins. As I said, Luke 13 and 3 says, repent or perish. That's pretty narrow-minded. If I don't repent, I perish. And be baptized for the remission of our sins, Acts 2.38, to wash away our sins, Acts 22 and verse 16, and walk in that light. And the truth of the matter is, if I'm not walking in that light, I'm not in a relationship with God. But if I choose to sin willfully, I step over here out of that light. There remains no more sacrifice for me because the sacrifice that Jesus made, the cross is here. That's where I need to be. I need to be with that blood that covers me and makes me whole and makes me perfect in the sight of God. So no, all roads doesn't lead to heaven. All roads doesn't lead to salvation. As the Bible says, there's no other salvation to be found except through Jesus. So I ask you, have you done those things? Are you on the road to heaven? Are you on that narrow, narrow road that leads to life everlasting? That's what we're striving for. It's not to be mean. It's not to prove an argument. It's to go to heaven. To go to heaven, but the right way and the only way.